0: Hi friend, welcome to the Yet Mothers podcast. I'm your host B. double grilled up and definitely have a slight change to my speech pattern as I get used to my new set of braces. Today we are going to be discussing a topic near but definitely not dear to my body, polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. Before we get started, I just want to be as transparent as possible. I am not a medical professional by any means. I do not work in the medical field or claim to be any sort of expert. I am just sharing the information I have accumulated by way of my own research, and this is not intended to give any medical advice or anything of that nature. With that being said, PCOS is believed to affect about six to 12% or 1 in 10 U.S. women of childbearing age. Don't ask me what that age group is because I cannot tell you and it would probably make most of us uncomfortable. I am sure it's associated with puberty and onset menstrual cycle, which is on average about 12 years old. Super ick if that is considered childbearing age. But I digress. In my very personal and non-professional opinion, there's likely way more women suffering of PCOS than that. I mean, up to 70% of affected women worldwide are thought to be undiagnosed. So the math is probably not mathing. And as my other 90s sisters know, we were all basically given birth control for any and all cycle issues with zero to minimal tests done, only to be diagnosed with PCOS in our 20s or 30s. I know I wasn't diagnosed until my thirties, well into my conception journey. Before we get into what PCOS is, let's discuss the menstrual cycle, which is a series of processes reliant on the correct type and amount of hormones based on the cycle's phase. The menstrual cycle is a delicate dance of sorts between the brain and the reproductive organs. During your period, all cycle-related hormones, such as luteinizing hormone, LH, follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH, progesterone or PDG, and estrogen or E3G are low. In the days following, known as the follicular phase, the hypothalamus releases gonadotropin releasing hormone, DNRH, which kicks the pituitary gland into gear to produce FSH, which does what? You named it stimulates the follicles on one of the ovaries to grow and mature. In theory, only one grows to full maturity and is known as the dominant follicle. As this follicle matures, estrogen is produced and rises. This rise initiates the building of the endometrium or uterine lining. After some time, the increase in estrogen informs the pituitary gland to surge LH. The ladies with the bulk box of OPKs in their bathrooms should know exactly what LH is because that is what you're testing for, the surge. About 24 to 36 hours before ovulation, LH surges, which causes the now mature follicle to burst and release an egg, initiating the beginning of the luteal phase. Once released, the egg starts its adventure into the fallopian tube while the now empty follicle forms what is known as the corpus luteum. This is what is responsible for progesterone production. The increase of progesterone helps thicken that previously built up uterine lining to provide a nice plush living space for the implantation of a fertilized egg. If fertilization and implantation happens, yay, you're pregnant. If fertilization or implantation does not occur, The corpus luteum breaks down and progesterone production drops, causing the shedding of the uterine lining, or the period, and the cycle begins all over again. The cycle production and subsequent release of these hormones can look very different in the body of someone diagnosed with PCOS, such as myself. PCOS is a result of hormone dysfunctional or imbalance, According to the Rotterdam Criteria, a guideline for PCOS diagnosis, the criterions for having PCOS include anovulation, high androgens like testosterone, and ovarian cysts. If you are displaying two of the three symptoms, congratulations, you'll likely be diagnosed with PCOS. And since the first two symptoms are a bit easier to observe, you'll likely be diagnosed without having an ultrasound done. These symptoms can be observed through irregular cycles, excessive body hair growth, acne, thinning hair, infertility, skin tags, and weight gain. That is not an all-encompassing list, and every case is absolutely different. My symptoms include irregular cycles, a touch of hirsutism, occasional acne, cystic ovaries, and infertility. However, a friend of mine has perfectly regular cycles, but deals with more severe hirsutism, has had multiple pregnancy losses, and struggles with weight gain and loss. Due to the various ways these symptoms can show, there is times when someone is diagnosed with PCOS, but in reality, some other underlying condition is causing these symptoms. So if the cause of PCOS is a hormone imbalance, why is it called polycystic ovarian syndrome? Well, because of the growths or cysts sometimes observed on the ovaries. But did you know these cysts are not traditional cysts? They are follicles on the ovaries that should have matured and burst to release an egg, but typically do not. Women with PCOS can have a high anti-malarian hormone, AMH, which is used to measure the ovarian reserve. Some women diagnosed with PCOS will have higher AMH levels. Higher AMH generally means higher ovarian reserve or more eggs, which you'd think is a positive thing, but that isn't necessarily true. Some studies suggest a higher AMH is tied to a higher level of follicles on the ovaries, This can be seen via ultrasound and is described as appearing like a string of pearls, how classy and lovely sounding for such a horrendous syndrome, which before I had ultrasounds confirming my personal string of pearls, I had blood work done showing my high levels of AMH. My provider at the time attempted to make light of it and said, well, you definitely won't go into menopause early. Like, great, but it can also have impacts to fertility. Now, during my research, I couldn't definitively figure out if the cysts were observed first, leading to the name. It kind of seems that way, but full transparency, not really concerned with that part. just think it's important to note that not everyone with PCOS actually has polycystic ovaries. If it wasn't clear by now, PCOS is really an umbrella term for a myriad of symptoms, some of which I did not necessarily reference. So if your symptoms fall outside of what I mentioned, doesn't mean it doesn't fit for PCOS. I clearly spun Perfect 7s because my body displays all three diagnostic criteria. Fortunately for me, my cysts do not cause any pain and when I did start having regular cycles, outside of maybe one or two, they were never overly painful or clotty. I am fairly certain that even with what I think are now regular cycles, I'm not ovulating, at least not as frequently as I should or want, you know, every month, which means I may be experiencing a mixture of actual ovulatory cycles and breakthrough bleeding. Breakthrough bleeding is not the same as a period. It of course resembles one because there can be copious amounts of blood and clots, but it is not the same as a period, which is the deliberate shedding of the uterine lining. When you do not shed this lining, it can continue to build up, making the endometrium unsteady for lack of a better term, which can cause heavy bleeding resembling a period. So it would be incredibly rude to have Breakthrough bleeding timed perfectly with my ongoing cycles, but again, this is just a working theory. So yes, it is kind of possible to have a period and not ovulate because of the hormonal imbalances causing breakthrough bleeding. Now, the specific hormonal imbalances in individual cases can vary. Generally, higher androgen levels, like testosterone, are going to impact other hormones such as estrogen and progesterone. So I'll outline an example similar to how I did before with a regular menstrual cycle. Reminder, during menstruation, LH, FSH, progesterone, and estrogen are all low. Again, in the follicular phase, the hypothalamus releases DNRH, which kicks the pituitary gland into gear to produce FSH, which by its name, stimulates a follicle for the release of an egg. Now, remember when I mentioned earlier that those with PCOS sometimes have higher ovarian reserves, and this sometimes results in multiple small follicles preparing an egg for release? So your body produces whatever the appropriate amount of FSH is, but you have more than one follicle attempting to grow and develop, meaning the appropriate amount of FSH meant for one follicle, is being diluted and shared among the multiple small follicles, none of which ultimately get enough FSH to fully develop into a mature follicle. They all make a small, likely insufficient amount of estrogen. High amounts of estrogen notify the brain to stop making FSH, but since multiple eggs are making a small amount of estrogen, this can be enough to stop FSH production. And what does a little bit of FSH, a lot of small immature follicles, and a little bit of estrogen, or estradiol in this case, mean? Anovulation. But let's not forget FSH's little friend, LH. While the FSH, follicles, and estradiol are stuck in their toxic little vicious cycle, the brain produces LH, which would normally initiate ovulation. But because the follicles are not mature to release an egg, LH causes the ovary to produce testosterone. Without ovulation, testosterone can continue to be produced. High testosterone can cause insulin resistance, hence why PCOS is sometimes referred to as diabetes of the ovaries. High testosterone can also cause other metabolic issues, such as heart disease or type 2 diabetes, So if high testosterone can cause metabolic issues, does that mean you have to have weight issues to be diagnosed with PCOS? Not necessarily. Yes, there are women who would be considered overweight by medical standards who have PCOS, but there are also plenty who do not. There are also people like myself who do not fit into that category and have been diagnosed with PCOS. Personally, although my weight has fluctuated over the years, That has been more from inconsistency working out and dietary choices more than anything. I generally lose weight fairly easily. I do, however, show signs of insulin resistance, which is why keto worked for my body. Although I am no longer eating strictly keto, I do try to make sure my carbs are complex and serve as nourishment for my body compared to any simple carb usually found in processed and unnatural sugar-injected foods. That being said, why some women who may be overweight and have PCOS find some relief after losing a bit of weight is because fat cells also produce estrogen. So now you have more estrogen, but the same amount of FSH, potentially across the multiple small follicles. So losing weight may reduce the amount of estrogen being produced. These cases seem to be more related to estrogen-dominant cases of PCOS, Because remember, it is a hormone imbalance. Although typically associated with androgen hormones such as testosterone, every case is different. But back to the main hormonal outline. So if there isn't enough FSH because there are too many follicles, these small amounts of estrogen are inhibiting additional FSH production. And LH is now telling the ovaries to produce more testosterone. Well, you have the perfect anovulation storm. And guess what is not being produced because of that? Progesterone. Because remember, a follicle needs to rupture to release an egg, then turn into a corpus luteum to produce progesterone. So although estrogen initiates growth of the uterine lining, no progesterone means the uterine lining isn't getting nice and fluffy in expectation of a baby. Thus, no drop in progesterone, since there isn't really any to begin with, and no shedding of that uterine lining. And the toxic cycle continues. One thing to note, I mentioned earlier that a rise in estrogen initiates the building of the endometrium or uterine lining. So the uterine lining is still there and growing even with the little bit of estrogen potentially being produced and no rise or fall of progesterone to basically reset it via shedding during a period. This growing uterine lining can be considered a form of hyperplasia, which can turn into endometrial cancer. Which, I do remember at around 16 in the OBGYN with my mom, the doctor mentioning how not having a period could eventually result in cancer, right before prescribing me birth control. Now, I know I said a lot of potentially scary stuff, and traditional medicine will tell you there is no cure for PCOS. However, there is no loss of prescribed ways to manage symptoms and pills to take to support reproductive functions. Before I say what I am about to say, I am not against traditional or Western medicine. I have spoken on here about taking letrozole and the trigger shot amongst other medications. I just believe the medical system is so quick to prescribe a medication to alleviate a symptom and not dig in deeper to find root causes and develop treatment plans aimed at healing instead of managing. If you're prescribed letrozole, metformin, clomid, antiandrogens, you name it, and it works for you, then you do what supports and serves your body best, girl. That being said, I do not agree with there not being a cure. Because hello, there is nothing in this world that God cannot do. Because I know this, I am very particular on how I even reference PCOS. I say I was diagnosed with PCOS not that I have PCOS. There is power in the tongue, and Yeshua is still the name above all names. And that is all I'll say about that. God provides us with everything to feed and care for our bodies. I have seen most of my symptoms either disappear or reduce significantly from natural supplementation and whole, real foods. As I discussed before, I did keto for about a year, As a bonus, I ended up losing about 30 pounds throughout that year. More importantly, I think this helped my body get out of insulin resistance. Which makes sense since there have been studies that showed reduced carb and sugar intake has assisted those with insulin resistance associated with type 2 diabetes. Again, the connection of some cases of PCOS being like diabetes of the ovaries. I had specific markers that showed me the way I was intaking carbs and processed food was not serving my body well. When I got into the rhythm of keto, I still had cheat meals. Sometimes I overdid it and I would feel the consequences. My heart rate would spike, as it does with a glucose spike. Before anyone gets on me about how that is a normal occurrence after eating, which is true, my heart rate would be in an elevated state at times, incongruent with inactivity, in addition, And probably more notable, I would get exceptionally sleepy. Now when I eat carbs, they're whole and complex. And I always pair it with healthy fats and protein. Like avocado mash on homemade sourdough toast with an over-easy egg on top. Similar to what I experienced during keto, I don't have consistent sweet cravings. And I usually stay full for longer, of course, depending on how active I was that day. Minimal glucose spike, and when I am going to be a bit more gluttonish, I have a small salad with vinegar-based dressing, or quite honestly, just take a shot of ACV a bit beforehand. Obviously, can't always do an ACV shot while out, but I'll at least try to do the salad trick or move a bit more to use that carb-based energy source before it gets stored for later Outside of that, I do a lot less cardio, and when I do run, it's slow and steady. Personally, prefer the Maffetone method. If you're not familiar, give it a Google. Before having my series of procedures and now a concussion, I was getting into stricter weightlifting. My intention is to alternate between weightlifting, functional fitness, and then gentler body weight based workouts before my period. In addition to this, I take a gambit of vitamins and supplements. I'm currently taking Fullwell's Fertility Trio, which greatly reduces the amount of single supplements I normally take. If you don't know, the trio includes a prenatal, fish oil specific for women, and a fertility booster. I also take myo and d in powdered form, which I've mentioned previously. I just put a scoop of that in some water with a few drops of Earthly's Lunamore and Fertility Booster tinctures for estrogen and progesterone support. After DJ's heart attack, we both started taking Hawthorne, Bromelain, natokinase, and turmeric, all for heart health and to assist with any inflammation. I am about to start incorporating bergamot to see if it helps with my cholesterol, another possible symptom or side effect of PCOS. Now, I know that sounds like a lot, it kind of is, but between my husband, you know, having a heart attack, my PCOS, our infertility, anything that can better posture my body for peak health, I'm willing to try. I also always try to find the cleanest versions of the supplements I take so they are legitimately sourced and usually have minimal to no fillers or unnecessary ingredients. And ingredients of my supplementation have been studied to improve one or multiple of the symptoms I experience. Now, what works for me may not work for the next PCOS diagnosed girly, which is why I would encourage you to do your own research. Read the studies. Ask your doctor all the questions or request a second opinion. Demand all the labs and procedures you can. It is your health and you are your own advocate. I have literally shown up to doctor's appointments with receipts of studies on things I've asked about. I've had some providers admit they didn't know and would need to do research, which personally, I prefer that over the alternative, which I've also experienced. A provider has said there was not a lot known regarding a supplement that there is an overabundance of research on. Like just say you don't know and move on. I rather a provider say they don't know than try to tell me a lie to cover their lack of knowledge. And also don't assume that because someone isn't a medical professional, they might not have relevant information. Like I said, read the studies yourself. I'ma need some of you to put the same energy you put into stalking your ex or your best friend from third grade on socials into searching and reading studies and watching videos to better support your body. We love a well-informed queen. So what have we learned today? PCOS is an umbrella term for a number of symptoms associated with hormone imbalance. This is typically diagnosed when a woman displays two of three symptoms, anovulation, high androgen levels, and or ovarian cysts. The hormonal dysfunction that causes these things can show in irregular periods, excessive body or facial hair, acne, weight issues, and infertility. Some cases are easily managed by dietary and lifestyle changes. Some need significantly more, including long-term prescription medication. Being diagnosed with PCOS can be simultaneously scary and validating, because although you don't want anything to be wrong. You live every day knowing there is something wrong, even when doctors claimed there wasn't, even when all your labs show up normal. With a diagnosis comes confirmation and potential solutions. And for my other believers out there, we know there is a name above every name. So once named, it also must fall in line. Women diagnosed with PCOS can absolutely get pregnant and carry a baby to term. Maybe it's unassisted, maybe it's assisted through IUI or IVF. It may not look like how you thought it would, it may not be when you thought it would be, and it can still happen. On the other side, it may not happen for some of us. And even through that, even when it doesn't make sense, I promise you, God is still good. And before someone out there, unprompted, tells us we can always adopt or foster, we are very much aware of the options out there. But we may not be at that point in our journey. At least DJ and I aren't. Besides the fact that adoption is expensive, and some may not be able to afford adoption or be in a situation suitable for fostering. Or we simply may not be called to that, especially when it comes to adopting or fostering. It takes a very specific heart and grace to be an adoptive or foster parent. And those that do it and do it well are a blessing. I remember about a year or so ago while attending a Bible study, I was given a word that I would be a mother of mothers, which is funny because I was typically referred to as the mom of my friends group always making sure they were all safe and not going on any wayward adventures. If that is what God has in store for me, I so look forward to it, even if it means not having any beautiful littles knit into my own womb. And I think that gives me the biggest piece of validation I could ever hope to find, that I really am at peace in my journey. Because although he allows me to make my little plans He orders my steps, and what my experiences and his word has shown me is that his way is so much better. Well, I hope I was able to clear up any confusion on PCOS. There is, of course, more information out there, and as I've repeatedly said, the cases and associated symptoms vary. If you have PCOS and found something that helps you, let me know. I always welcome more information. If you're not already, I would be so grateful if you would subscribe or share my little podcast with someone you think may benefit from or enjoy it. And if you've been with me for the past whopping three episodes, I would be elated if you would leave me a review. And again, you can find me and contact me on Instagram at yetmothers. Until next time, be safe, be good. Bye.